Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and TV. Here on Movie Beat, excuse me, Blog Talk is giving me some feedback. Here on Movie Beat, you're going to learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and television. On Movie Beat, we'll talk to everyone behind the scenes. And in front of the camera, I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's actually move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. I want to welcome you to today's show. Um, First off, right out of the gate, let me say, people have asked me where I got the bumper music. That actually came from my nine-year-old daughter. She created it on GarageBand. And uh, it plays just fine, except when it's uploaded to Movie Beat, and then it's got some glitches in it. But uh, when I was looking for bumper music, I thought, hey, why not? You know, my daughter's a little composer, a little filmmaker, and so this was my uh, way of uh, putting her in the show. Now, if you're listening to this live on Blog Talk, you can make this a favorite show. You can uh, become a friend of Movie Beat uh, right now by clicking the buttons for friend and for favorite. You can share it. You can tweet it or Facebook it. And um, you can download it or subscribe to the RSS feed so that you can get it uh, as iPods through, um, I'm sorry, through a podcast through iTunes. Also, you're free to leave uh, comments at the Blog Talk radio site. Now, if you're listening to this uh, archive, that means you're on the official Rex Sykes Movie Beat page at www.rexsykes.com, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. You can still uh, email and tweet your friends about it. You, you can Facebook it, MySpace it, uh, but you can um, certainly share uh, the tips and suggestions and the fine interviews and the conversations we have with filmmakers with all of your industry friends and movie-making and TV friends. Uh, we've got lots of good people coming up soon. We're going to do part two. Uh, with uh, Dave West, sound mixer at Digital Dreams Sound Studios. We've got uh, other producers, directors, filmmakers, production designers are coming down the pike. Our schedule changes because people's, people's schedules change. They get committed to projects. They uh, go out of state, out of the, out of the country. So uh, uh, sometimes I have shifted the, uh, the interviews that I've listed as coming up. But they will eventually be on the show. I want to thank all of our our listeners and and all of our readers of the blog at rexsykes.com for the comments that you've sent me by phone or by email or in person when you see me. And I want to remind everyone to check back into uh, all of the interviews if you haven't listened to them. They're really some fine, fine interviews. When I started this, I did it as a way of connecting people up with my friends in Hollywood and professional contacts by saying, you know, I want a platform for people to be able to essentially pick the brains of, of the best and the finest minds that, that I know and that I could find and that they come my way so that you could learn exactly what to do and what not to do when it comes to 
to to you making your own projects, and also to to introduce you to guests who are very busy in industry in in the industry whom you may not know. And today, our guest is a returning guest, and I'm really pleased and excited to have her, and that is uh, Susan K. Moses. Now, Susan Moses is the founder of an international content company, Cinema Virtuelle, which works with indie filmmakers on the development and financing, the co-production and marketing of uh, content uh, and unique content. They're recognized as a global provider, and uh, they have global recognition as a provider and developer of unique content. Uh, they produce movies. She produces movies through her uh, produ producing subsidiary, Lizzie Lulu Pictures, and she's the producer of an upcoming film called Nephilim, and uh, she currently is in post-production with a Project Solitude, a film she completed here in Wisconsin. She's got other things coming down the pike, so I'm going to put her on right now. And Susan, are you there? And then she can tell us all about what what she's doing. And how are you, Susan? Good morning, Rex. Good morning. You doing well? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about you? I'm doing good, good. Uh, I'm always surprised with Blog Talk. It, uh, it always provides me with something new to keep me on my toes so that in the middle of something it either shuts me down or drops a guest or suddenly starts playing music from some unknown source. But uh, uh, I'm good, I'm good. Well, well, I think I'll just give you a little heads up in advance, and that is that I'm actually speaking to you today from my cell phone. Oh, don't tell I... people that. They can never, never know that. They're always supposed to be on landlines. <laughs> well, we'll give them a little bit of a heads up. Just no, no, now they're going to want. Now they're all going to want some slack. No, but don't, you, no, you are no, speaking no, no. on you are speaking on your cell phone, so that it's a, a potential for dropping the call. Um, I, I thank you for for letting us know that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, things have been uh, things have been really terrific since we spoke last. And we've and done two interviews so far. We actually we've done more. This is about our fourth interview, I think. We did one on the incentives in the state of Wisconsin. We did one on the unfortunate situation of, of the documentary filmmaker imprisoned in Iran. And then we've done two. Uh, this is our fifth. We've done two on on producing, and this is the third part of the producing series. Well, I, th I think we must have a lot of things to talk about. I think we do, and I know that, that uh, this one will probably lead to a few others, at least in the near future, when, you're, when your schedule permits. So, uh, so yes, please, update us, if you will, um, uh, what's going on, and, then, and one will, then we'll recap a little bit about what we talked about in, in the previous interview. Interviews. Interviews. Uh, well, the, the, uh, the film that... Um that I produced in Wisconsin at the end of uh, 2008 is in post-production. Uh, sometimes they, you know, seem to have a, a life of their own. Uh, they don't always, you know, come through the the assembly line, you know, in in perfect order. Uh, but uh, you know, we have a we have a rough cut. We have some temporary uh, score tracks. Um, you know, we seem to be uh, you know, making all the right moves and the right progress, and what I've seen to date looks very impressive and uh, really beautiful. And uh, you know, Nephilim is in uh, is in pre-production. We are pretty excited about the fact that we've been able to 
make enormous strides on the uh, the comic book. I know that Danny Wilson, the director and, and uh, creator of the franchise, is making his preparations to be at Comic-Con in San Diego um, at the end of July, where he can uh, kind of very casually begin to... Um, put out his teasers and, you know, the franchise teasers for the book. And we've had conversations with uh, literary agents who have expressed interest in in helping us roll out the, the comic series and some of the other elements in the franchise. And, and I have also been working on a few other smaller projects, which um, will film, uh, you know, at some point probably in between finishing completing Nephilim and starting the second installment of the Nephilim film. Uh, one of those projects is called The Violinist, and it's a beautiful drama uh, written by Lance Kowas, and Lance will also direct the picture. Uh, Scott Rosenfeld, who has done tons and tons of pictures, I could go on and on about his resume, but I think the one that resonates the most with people is a, is a little film called Home Alone. Hello? Oh, you're there. I, yeah, I heard a click, and then I wasn't sure whether you were there or not, so we're here. Oh. Home Alone, well, yes. Yeah. And, Scott, and Scott is working with one of my other guests, Ron Coleman, on, on his project and your project, so the, the world is, is, is a quite a small place indeed. But, but uh, uh, suffice to say that uh, you're working with professional people with, with excellent credentials. That's exactly correct, and I'm so excited to be working with, uh, with Lance. He's a... He's a terrifically talented person. Um, and then I, I'm developing another small picture with an actor named Victor Alfieri. Victor recently was in um, Angels and Demons. And uh, he... Um, uh, he was the best thing in Angels and Demons, by the way. <laughs> he really was. Wow. No, I mean, as, as an actor, I, th- I, th- I thought he did real well. It, it appeared that... Uh, his part was much larger and, and reduced to a, a, you know, he he was cut very very severely probably, but uh, he he did a fine fine job. It was it was it was it was good watching him. As a matter of fact, that's that's a very good observation. Uh, his he had a much larger, much more significant role in the film, and Ron Howard said, "Look, Victor, we had to make some very tough choices." He said, "We we basically uh, had." something in the, in the range of a three-hour film and needed to make a lot of cuts to get the movie down to the, you know, the footage that we actually ended up with in the final cut and the release print of the film. And he said, has nothing to do with the fact that we didn't like your, your acting. As a matter of fact, we loved your performances. Uh, so Victor wrote a script called Phoenix, and uh, it, was, it was a vehicle that he created uh, to really kind of showcase his talents in a leading role, um, I love the picture tremendously. It's a it's a road trip movie, uh, kind of like a e- modern day Easy Rider, if you will. It's a motorcycle, you know, road trip movie, and it's really beautiful. Um, so uh, you know, there's tons of things going on. I'm doing some consulting work with other filmmakers here in Los Angeles who are making every effort to get their movies up and running, and uh, some of them are rather new filmmakers. And, um, you know, that's always kind of exciting to see somebody who is 
not yet been jaded so much by the system, but they're you know trying to um, trying to create something that they feel passionately about. So it's not dull. Uh, that you know, in general, I think the industry is you know going through some transitions that are very much similar and mirroring what's happening just in general out there, and not only the U.S. economy, but kind of globally. There is not as much in production today as there would typically be at this time. Uh, that, you know, some kind of, you know, causes a little bit of concern for, you know, certain of the support industries, uh, craft services and casting companies and, you know, the kinds of people that you're talking to in terms of the sound design and sound mixing companies because they don't have the, the workflow coming into their companies that there have been, you know, the, the volume that they've been experiencing or typically would be experiencing from past years. But, you know, we're all pretty resilient and people are very creative and, you know, looking for alternative solutions to um, to what they had been doing otherwise. Um, and, you know, for me, it's, you know, I'm looking elsewhere for sources of funding, atypical places, and, um, you know, trying to be as creative as possible in putting together some of these deals. Well, let me, let, let's, let's get into that then. Uh, but uh, let's do that kind of in a, in a roundabout way, if you don't mind. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is just very briefly recap uh, what we had discussed in the previous two I- interviews on producing. Now, you, we've touched on those also in the in the interview on the incentives, so it's, it was uh, good because uh, w- we talked about money issues r- revolving around uh, film production and what the states can do to either uh, assist that or not assist that. But then we also just went right into uh, producing and and what the the role of a producer is and and uh, I also want to make mention to the fact that I have opened the chat window and there are some guests uh, some listeners who are in the in the chat room there but for any other listeners who are live who want to uh, to come into the chat room um, that would be great uh, I'm going to ask a very quick first question from one of the listeners and then let's let's go to our recap and that is is the first issue of the Nephilim comic book out yet. Uh, the the first issue of the Nephilim comic book is technically issue zero, and yes, that comic is available on a limited basis uh, on somewhere I think less than twelve comic book stores across the country in in, in the East Coast, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, North and South Carolina. Um, Maybe Virginia, I think. Uh, I think there are two stores in Wisconsin, uh, one comic book in Green Bay and another in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, and they can listen in. On, actually, I think Danny mentions where they are in his interview on, on, on Movie Beat. We did talk about that, and he mentioned a comic book company up in Green Bay. So if the listeners are from Wisconsin, they certainly could, could check that out. Check out that interview with Danny Wilson, and he'll, he'll give some information regarding that. Exactly. Issue one has been available on a more limited basis. Uh, we did not ever go into um, mass production on that issue. Uh, we're debating at this point, and I think as soon as Danny Wilson uh, returns from Comic-Con, I think we'll have a, a more specific idea of when we'll do the specific release of issue reissue zero 
and issue one, we had a conversation with, um, and you know, these are all the things that you know we we get into when we're producing. In particular, when we're producing something like a franchise, and you have elements beyond the film project, you you know you need to do just as much research into those other elements as we've done in order to do our homework and prepare for the film. So in talking during, to... I'm sorry, I was just going to say, and, and during Danny's interview, he mentioned this, the, the release schedule of the comics to be timed with the movie and, and how that was all going to play out. And so if they're not in wide release right now, I, I guess it makes, you know, you'd have to listen to Danny's interviews to, to hear what he has to say about it. And, but you're involved in it as well, so if you want to tell people now, it's fine. Well, I think that I was just, you know, going to say that we've we've been doing our, you know, homework and having conversations with people who are actually in the business of supporting franchises and, in particular, the, the you know, the, the comic book or, um, you know, other sorts of materials like that that um, hit the marketplace. Some after the release of the film, others during the release of the film. You know, some you know, before the release of the film and looking at all the pros and cons. And um, we, uh, my, it is my expectation that probably at some point, either right around the Christmas holiday or immediately thereafter, we will begin to see the Nephilim comic series in broader release. That, that seems to be the, the general track that we are settling on for the, for the Nephilim comic and then, on a limited basis, some of the merchandising. I know that we're um, looking at the possibility of having a marketing package which would include issue zero, one, and possibly two uh, to have available at the Berlin Film Festival, which is in early 2010. So I think that in order for us to meet that deadline, we definitely are going to have to get into uh, production and, and wider distribution um, at some point at the end of this year, early part of January. All right. Well, fantastic. Thanks for for uh, answering the question for our listeners. And let's let's get right now into recapping. We had talked about the an overview. Uh, well, I mean, can you give us an overview of the producer's role? And I'm going to throw these out to you right now because it will recap the uh, what we talked about in the earlier discussions, and that was the producer's role in finding scripts, securing attachments, funding, and negotiating deals. That's that's what we talked about. You, any, anything you want to, in general, refresh people's minds about before I get into specific questions? I think that's a that's a really fair assessment on a on a thumbnail recap, and and I agree with you. I think that if people would like to have more of this, you know, specific background background information that we've already covered because you do archive the show it would be so easy for them to just kind of dial into parts one you know part one and and part two of the producing series and you know uh, and then you know kind of come back to this and maybe listen to it again and they'll be completely up to speed but i i'd love it if you have additional questions or other topics or areas that you would like to cover to just fire away i'd love to hear the questions that some of the listeners have well all right, fantastic. We have um I just just so the listeners know who might be listening live or if you're archiving uh this particular interview, the all of uh, Susan's interviews uh, with the exception of the uh, one on the Iranian documentary filmmaker and the one on the incentives are are now archived under the heading of the art and business of producing movies 
slash Susan Moses. It's uh, it's it's archived on the interviews page at uh, Rex Ike's Movie Beat. And when you go to that page, you'll find information on Susan and her biography, and then there will be links to Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, and upcoming links. And this is Part 3 right now. So, uh, and, and, and we are already over 20 minutes into the interview. We've yet to uh, talk about some of the numerous questions that could come up. So um, uh, I know... Uh, that there will be a part four and hopefully a part five or six or however many you can uh, find yourself doing, Susan. But um, so we had a conversation a while back, uh, a month or so ago, uh, regarding um, what motivates a producer to attach to a particular project. In other words, you know, a producer is if he's scouring the, the world looking for projects, they're either looking at the news or books or other feature films, or they write, you know, they're, they're looking around for something to produce. Uh, maybe they're producing their own work and they've written something. But so you as a producer, uh, what, what motivates you to attach to a particular project? You know, for, for me and I suspect for the majority of other producers, it, it really starts at the core level of a passion and you know it could be a passion for a particular subject matter passion for a specific genre or something about the, the the basic idea or the integrity of that project that kind of makes the producer and in my case me unable to sleep until I have figured out a way to begin the process of translating whatever that material is into something visual and in moving pictures so that it can reach a broader audience and whatever the entertainment value or the messages or the information is has an opportunity to be seen by people, you know, more more mass audience. Um, and, you know, I, I just get really passionate about things, uh, not because I'm drawn to a specific genre per se, but it could be that for me the subject matter I find challenging and interesting and then the, um, the people involved, you know, the other people who are attached to or involved in that uh, subject matter. I know that in the case of Danny Wilson, I was initially really attracted to the film that he did, Darkest Days. Um, I you know, was at a film festival. I knew that he was, in all likelihood, a relatively new filmmaker because of the nature of this particular film festival. And I, I just, I looked at this film and I just, I knew instinctively that he probably hadn't spent a great deal of money by Hollywood standards on the picture, but I also knew that um, what it, that it showed me, it demonstrated to me that here was a here was a person who really understood the art of storytelling. Uh, so I, you know, made it my business to track him down and have a conversation with him. And when I when he pitched me on the concept of the Nephilim film trilogy and the entire marketing package and the franchise that this project would evolve into, uh, I saw his passion and frankly I was infected by it. I, I became 
you know, as passionate as he was to pursue this project and to get it done. In the case of uh, Project Solitude, um, you know, I, I had a long-term professional relationship with Rustin Brannaman, who was the director of that film. And I met uh, Tom Hillary, who wrote, was the original writer on that project. Uh, Tom was, you know, had put the pen to page, if you will, and, you know, had written a number of scripts. He was looking for someone who would help him, you know, get them up and off the ground and, you know, get at least one of them done and, so that he could pursue, you know, possibly a more active role as, an, as a screenwriter. And uh, when I met Tom Hillary and I realized that he needed to be paired with um, an experienced writer and with, you know, someone where we could actually attract a director, it just seemed a natural for me kind of combination to uh, bring Rustin Brannaman and Tom Hillary together in this project because Rustin had this, you know, long, long-term desire to direct the film. He had written films, he had started out as an actor, he had been a producer of films, and he really wanted to make that transition into directing. So I knew that because of Rustin's experience at working on these small genre-based pictures, uh, Project Solitude is a psychological thriller, that it could be a, an excellent combination. So my passion was ignited by being able to take this new screenwriter and introduce him to someone who I'd known for many, many years, um, who himself had a passion for making the transition into directing and begin to put all the elements together surrounding this project, kind of keying off of and working with other people who were, I mean, terrifically, terrific people, but both were kind of on fire to inside of themselves, you know, to see this thing manifest and turn and translate into something very tangible. Um, and so in the case of, you know, the uh, the documentary, Mohammed Asani, you know, we talked a little bit about this um, on the specific show that we did concerning that project and subsequently what happened to him in terms of being imprisoned in Iran. I was touched by his determination, his tenacity, and his passion. And then when I realized how important the subject matter was uh, for this picture of, you know, making sure that um, for all time the world would have access to the information about what this photographer had been able to capture um, and his father and his father before him, his grandfather, all this generations of photographers, the information that they'd been able to capture in this little region of Tabriz, Iran, I, I knew that this had to be done. I, I knew that there was nothing that could get in the way of making sure that this story was told. It made its way to broader release and broader distribution. And given the nature of you know the, the political climate in Iran today, I... I am thankful every day that you know we had an opportunity to to work together and to make sure that that story was told. Now that's uh, I mean all of that is that is awesome. It is it is fabulous and and I'm glad that we were able to do the interview on Mr. Hassani and and his uh, difficulties in Iran, uh, which are ongoing as we speak. Um, 
I also want to mention that uh, I did interview Rustin Branneman on Movie Beat, and his interview is archived here as well as Danny's and others of Susan and other filmmakers. Um, I want to go all the way back to what you said about Danny's film in the beginning, uh, because Danny's film, you, as I understand the story, you saw it at a, at a film festival, and, and it was uh, perhaps a movie done on a shoestring, and I don't know... Uh, and whether it was a good movie or not a good movie in terms of its technical expertise but the but what i think i heard part of what you said was that even if it hadn't been technically an expert film or a well done technical film what you saw in him was the ability to tell a story would that be correct that as a storyteller he was able to get get that on the screen and, and that that attracted you is, is is that what you said that is what i said i i saw that he had the ability as a visual thinker mm-hmm. to tell a story which which is what i believe is the director's role um you know the writer has the ability to tell the story in in words the director steps in and is able has the ability to visually translate those words into a, a, a completely different dimension of storytelling. And uh, and I saw that Danny Wilson was really good at doing that. Uh, it, it was no question about it. The kid was a director. Um, you know. And then as I as I got to know him, and I realized that he had you know written it and. And he had played so many other roles in, you know, in the process of doing the film. Uh, you know, the, my the, his scorecard for me just kept, you know, increasing. Uh, I, I I am a huge fan and really blessed, I think, to be in partnership with him um, on this franchise. But you're right. I mean, I saw that. I saw that he took an idea and translated it into visual images and then brought the next layer which is the emotional component because it's you know if you're sitting in in the audience and you're looking at this big screen or even at home and you're looking at the little screen yes there could be you know big explosions and you know tricks on the screen and all the latest bells and whistles can be incorporated into, you know, the make it, you know, the the way that the movie, you know, special effects and all this stuff. And not that I want to make a pejorative comment about, you know, anyone else's work because I don't really think that's fair, but when the when the emotional component and when the humanness and the ability for all of those images to transcend whatever screen they're being projected on to resonate with the person who's watching the film is missing, then you can have all, you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, $80 million. You name the number, it's all very possible. And have something that's technically a really, you know, wow, you get the wow factor. But at the end of the day, you know, the audiences walk away and they're very disappointed. And I, you know, was reading some of the reviews yesterday about, uh, you know, I'm not even going to name the film, but it's a film that's in release right now. Um, you know, where the the audiences are walking away, and I don't think that that 
emotional component has translated. All the technical stuff is there. The studio certainly paid a lot of money for this science fantasy film, um, but there, you know, it doesn't seem to be resonating with the audience. This is what I saw Danny Wilson have the ability to do. He he gave the characters life. He gave them personality. He created the emotion within the storytelling. Um, I was captivated. Were there you know flaws in you know some of the transitions? Did I see that you know he probably should have had more money to you know complete the sound mix and the sound design of the movie? Absolutely. I, you know that was very obvious to me. But the most important thing for me was the fact that I knew with more money to be able to adequately produce those other technical aspects of the movie that he was going to be someone, he was going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, within, within Hollywood. People will, will, he will become a name that people will recognize as someone who is... Um, very passionate and uh, a perfectionist with his craft. Well, that is that is that is awesome. And and I just want to say that you know I've I've been fortunate to spend time with you and with Danny in 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 multiple occasions. And the passion really kind of oozes from both of you. I mean, it, it, that is one of the things that is very uh, attractive in a professional sense, but also in a personal sense, is that when you describe your works and when you describe and when Danny describes what he's doing. Uh, it just it just comes right off of him. I mean, you know that he's he's, he's living and breathing and and uh, you know and the wheels are turning in his head. But it's 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 beyond thinking. It is it is literally the the act of feeling it, and um, and that's good. I mean I mean that that I, I I believe and have said numerous times in movie beaten in conversations here or elsewhere that that. Uh, when it comes to sales, people, frankly, they buy something because they feel it's the right thing to do. And I don't mean that in a in a mental way. They have a, a, a literally a gut feeling. I want this. They feel the need. They feel compelled. And then they'll give you all the reasons why they purchased it. But it, it boils down pretty much to an emotion, an emotional component. And if you go to a movie and you sit there and you aren't riveted emotionally, if you watch all these pretty pictures and all the explosions and everything and you just sit there and go, so what? Um, the movies, the movie, the producers, the directors haven't done their job. They haven't grabbed you. They haven't taken you on a roller coaster ride. They haven't, they haven't given you the time of, the, of your life so that when you walk out of there, if you get off Batman at Six Flags or some ride at Disney and you go, wow, that was incredible, that's because you felt that ride. It wasn't that you saw the, just the world whizzing by in a fast way when you were upside down. It's that you had this experience that you can't even begin you can hardly begin to describe and when you get off the ride you're like whoa great let's do that again well when a movie can do that to you when they've grabbed you and you've gone wow and you forgot that time existed i think that is what the director and the producers and the storyteller and the writer's job is you know and that's hopefully what people are trying to manufacture and and yes hollywood oftentimes falls down for formula and big cgi and they forget that it really is about the audience and who's watching the movie not about just getting something on the screen it's about their experience of the people sitting in the theater. So when you talk about Danny, you know, and I do, I do believe he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, and uh, and uh, because he is so passionate about this, um, that is awesome. So can you list uh, some specific criterion that you have? I mean, you've, you've said I think more than 
enough, but is there a specific criterion for then attaching to a project or attaching to a person like Danny project? I, I can't. And this, and this, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and does that differ or support, you know, your original motivation? So. I, I, I could definitely give you, I, I suppose, a thumbnail overview of what, for me, is, you know, the process that, that happens. And, I mean, I, I have people contacting me on a pretty regular basis asking if I would be interested in, you know, reading their script or taking a look at their script. And these now, days, I, I mean, Let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. This is good because you have a listener online who a question that I, I have yet to get to, but says, does she read scripts? And what do you think the best way for a screener to, to get their script read? You know, who buys scripts? I mean, there are other questions, but, but you're now talking about you're receiving scripts and you read them. I, I do, and you know there there are times when I have more a, a greater capacity to read a script and you know give somebody a critique than others. Um, you know when I'm in between projects, or you know I have you know a week or so where I'm not you know in the process of trying to very specifically move a project from one place to another. And I'm pretty generous. You know I I am kind of among the rare breed of people who, if I have the time and I have the ability and, you know, I think the person is really serious about what they're doing, I will read the script. It's not something that I take lightly because, you know, it's a couple of hours at a minimum to really give that script a proper read and to, you know, be able to formulate some sort of a response back to the person. Uh, you know that's that's my valuable time, so I don't take it lightly, but I am pretty generous about it, and I definitely have read you know lots and lots and lots of scripts that I knew going into the reading of the script, I probably would not have an interest in producing, but because I felt that the person handing me the script was uh, very sincere uh, about what they're doing it. It was just something I felt I would just give back, you know, take a kind of tithing my time a little bit and giving it back to a screenwriter. Um, so I do read scripts. I think it's I'm not typical. It's very tough sometimes for producers to have an open door policy about reading scripts because there's always that danger that I could read a script casually, you know, just trying to help somebody out, and then down the road. You know, I get involved in a project or I may already be involved in a project and there could be some similar conceptual elements and then there's, you know, the person who I've done the favor for thinks, aha, she read my script and, you know, stole the idea. Um, and then there's the potential for some sort of legal action and that all gets very complicated. So it's, it's not something that I take lightly. I do do it. I do it more often, I suppose, than the average person does. The best way for a writer to, I think, somebody who's not who's not been produced or doesn't have access to um, other people in in the business who could read their script and help pass it on, there's some great screenwriting uh, competitions. You know, there are film festivals, there are great screenwriting competitions. I think many of them are very legitimate. Uh, the scripts do get covered. I think there are also 
screenwriting opportunities out there where you know writers can submit their script and and get a professional to do coverage on that script. Um, and um, you know with that coverage, then it becomes a little bit easier to submit the script to one of the agencies in Los Angeles and the you know the writer specifically seeking some representation. I think it's important for writers before they rush to market with the script that they've written to make sure that they have more than one um, because nobody's really that interested in investing in a one-trick pony. Um, all the time and all the energy and all the effort that an agent or a manager or a producer will put into helping a you know a relatively new writer you know we we want to know that that person is going to be around for the second the third the fourth you know and a, and a lot of other um, material to follow but to have somebody who just does one it's like you know, we've we've seen it in the music industry. Somebody has one hit. They have a one hit career, and then where did they go after that? Um, but all that money is invested in the promotion and advertising and marketing of that that performer, building up the public's appetite for that person. And then there's nothing nothing to follow on. Nothing ever happens. Nothing comes up as, as a result of it. So I think for writers to and I'll go back to Tom Hillary, who was the writer on Project Solitude. The first day that he flew to Los Angeles and met with me, and we had met at this lovely little coffee shop over in Beverly Hills, he came to the table with 12 scripts and stacked them up on the table in front of me and, you know, kind of jokingly said, take your pick. Um, you know, and I looked at him and I thought, That's, that 12 screenplays, Notwithstanding the fact that at that moment I didn't know whether or not they were good, bad, or indifferent, represented a huge investment of his time. So I knew before I picked out Project Solitude to read that he was very serious. He had invested himself um, in the process of, of screenwriting. Uh, and then I was curious enough to take it to the next level and you know find out what the genres were that he had written about and decided that, you know, for me, on a new writer, with a new writer, sort of the easiest way to go about it would be to pick out a genre that typically does very well commercially and could be produced for relatively low dollars. So I said, let me read your psychological thriller. And uh, I did, and I, I loved it. I thought it was original and clever and you know, the story was not something I'd heard over and over and over again, and I took a chance with him. That's awesome. That is that is awesome. And and I have some uh, thoughts that I, I want to kind of tie together in my own head about this. But let me say this. If you are loving this, if you are enjoying listening to uh, Susan right now and or the other interviews archived here on MovieBee, please do share it with your friends and your industry connections, Facebook it, MySpace it, however, email your friends, tweet it, tweet it, uh, tweet it um, and, and, and continue to help us spread the word because we sure uh, enjoy having you enjoy this. Uh, and, and to benefit from these and to have your friends and colleagues benefit as well. Uh, Susan, uh, this, this, is, this is fascinating because um, I go back to Danny for just a second, and that is that you were at a film festival, and out of all of the people there, you sought out this young filmmaker who had made this movie, 
um, because you saw something that, that grabbed you and it attracted you about him and his ability in telling a story. And then you spoke with him. And uh, and uh, if my memory serves me from a conversation we had, um, was it that he had spent less money on the movie that you thought he had or <laughs> something along those lines? But uh, I'll let you clarify that in a minute. But... Um, but you you talked to him, and then you know he essentially laid out a vision for you. He had a business plan. He had he had this franchise, the, the notion that he was going to do this and this and this and this, and it was going to work that way, and it was going to be these different things, and was very passionate. And then you uh, describe uh, Tom Hillary, and he shows up with twelve scripts, and and you can have your pick, and you know that he's in it for the long term. He is something he hasn't taken lightly. And then you read one, obviously, and it, it was something that you hadn't, you know, heard very much before, and it was different. It was novel. Um, you know, if if I had to say, there's kind of a thread here. Uh, when we get back to this list of criterion, uh, or, or or about um, reasons for attaching, and what or motivates you, uh, we've we've got passion. We've got vision or future or planning we've got you know somebody who's involved who's not a one-trick pony but i mean I, I want you to fill in the words i don't want to be putting words in your mouth but it but from listening this is the kind of, of the things that i'm gleaning at this moment and again coming away with so if i were a young filmmaker or or even an advanced filmmaker i'd go you know these are things that should be important for me to consider in furthering my career uh, especially when you know how will other people view me, and how 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 do I make an approach, or how will I be approached by people? So I'm sorry, I'm going to let you talk. And well, I'll, I'll answer the question that you sort of inserted in there, which is that ultimately, yes, I did. I I thought that Danny Wilson had. I mean, I knew that Danny Wilson had spent less money than a you know sort of typical Hollywood movie would have spent on the type of picture that he produced, but I was really shocked when I learned how little money, comparatively speaking, he had actually spent in making the movie, which was a, a lot for him. It was a great deal for him as a young, just fresh out of film school uh, filmmaker to, you know, go. he went out on his own and he got that money, pulled the money together, put a lot on his credit cards. I mean, I, I saw that, that he was, you know, really dedicated and serious. The final amount of money that he spent, yes, it was significantly less, which impressed me even more so because when I realized how little money he had spent and was able to translate that into a motion picture, a feature film, which, by the way, ultimately went on to realize uh, theatrical release in several countries abroad and did pretty well in its DVD sales uh, in foreign territories, that's incredibly impressive. Um, you know, it, it, the the truth. You know, the the truth is, I think, in the final product. Um, and yes, you know, for Tom Hillary, it was important for me to see that he had made that um, that he had made that commitment. But there, was, you know, and with Mr. Asani, it was about the passion, and and I and I just knew just morally i i needed to participate with him in helping to push this story out to make sure that his story was told um but i'm working on uh with 
with two gentlemen at the moment um, who are located on the East Coast, and it's a completely different situation. Um, neither of them have any real history in the entertainment industry. Um, one of them I've known for over 20 years on a personal level and um, has approached me about a story that he believes needs to be told. And so he you know, introduced me to the gentleman about whose life I believe will ultimately be translated into a book and no doubt into a screenplay and ultimately be made into a film because he's a fascinating character. Um, and I, you know, I just, as I listened to his story um, and the things that he had been involved in and listened to how this has changed his life and the lives of all of the people who have been associated with him, including his family, I could tell that the elements were there to, you know, sort of take a movie like, uh, let's say, a, a, a Goodfellas meets uh, Catch Me If You Can and uh, put, put a little bit of blow in there, you know, the Johnny Depp movie, and have something that's contemporary. I'm sure we'll have all of those uh, fascinating elements of the underworld associated with it. Um, but they're really at an, at an infinitesimal stage in the development of the story. It's just the guy who, who is ready to tell his story. So for me, in that particular project, it won't be getting involved in a finished screenplay. I need to go even farther back to the origins of the process and get involved in attaching myself to this project, find the screenwriter, supervise the screenwriter, and then, you know, get this project to the point where we even have a script that then can be packaged and ultimately produced. So what attracted me to this? Initially, because it came to me through someone I've known for over 20 years. And I listened to him. We've been actually talking about this project for almost a year. The fact that he hasn't, the fact that he hasn't given up on it and that he's passionately pursued me, and that he's, you know, really made me believe that he's serious about find, about supporting this project in any way that he can, and in speaking to the person whose life the story will be based on and realizing that he can't sleep at night without figuring out a way to tell the story because he's, I think also interested in making a transition in in the pattern of his life, you know, to go from to make the transition of being someone who was involved in committing crimes to someone who wants to turn that around and really be an example to uh, a lot of other people and understanding why that just was a bad decision and also to work with major corporations in showing them how to protect themselves from people like him. So I said, okay, you know, there's some redeeming elements here. It's fascinating commercial storytelling, but there's also some sort of socially redeeming component. Awesome. Now, because you described two kind of, uh, two different aspects of developing 
projects, and one is somebody you know you find a script and it's is for for our discussion here it's completed at least in its first rough draft and it's something that you find and it's and it's fascinating and it's interesting or you find a film you know and you find out that somebody has uh you know other screenplays or other ideas you know in them or in this case you 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 hear a story and there is no screenplay there is no book there is no tangible product yet and so you're going to to, to you know work to to develop the entire thing so we're not going to have time to discuss these in full now because we have just about five minutes left and uh, have barely scratched the surface on, on so many important topics that uh, I, I know you are you, you know you have expertise in and you are an expert in that I want to be able to cover. But um, suffice to say that in the next five minutes, you know the time frame between taking. Uh, one of these projects and getting it from conception or getting it from first draft to uh, the screen. I mean, it's obviously it's going to vary. I mean, a producer might tie up, you know, a year or five or ten years trying to get something done. What? Um, uh, I'm not sure how I want to formulate a question here, other than to kind of uh, just say, you know, there are things that that attract you. There are things that that grab you, and uh, and uh, where do you start? I mean, you know, you, you've, you've described these different projects here, Tom's and Danny's and this gentleman's, and um, you've got these all going on at one time, too. <laughs> Plus, you've got other films going on, you know, that are in different different states of development. So how do you do it? I, yeah, I, I think that that's, it, uh, well, there's a, again, you know, it's, it's being able to understand creating um, a balance and, um, and also, to, for me, I have to limit what I get involved in and the way in, and the manner in which I do get involved in projects. I know so many producer friends of mine who talk about 12 projects they're currently producing. I personally don't believe that it's even feasible for an individual person to be producing 12 projects simultaneously. Each one is a full-time job. So for me, it's a, it's a process of staggering to have them, if you kind of imagine a, an assembly line, and at various points you can introduce something into that assembly line depending upon where it is in its stage of development. Um, and then I, because I know the amount of work and the amount of effort required to get it from whatever stage it's in to a point where we could even begin to go out and look for funding to make that project work, I try to just evaluate whether or not, A, I have the window that I think needs to be available to work on that project, and the resources are there to support working on that project. Because it's not cheap. You know, if I, I think if I told you the amount of money that's been spent already in the development of the Nephilim franchise, you know, there are people who who don't make that amount of money in 10 years. Um, but we've, you know, had to be dedicated to the process of knowing that it, it was an expensive undertaking. I, I think that before Project Solitude saw uh, its first day of official pre-production, you know, 
probably $150,000 had been spent on, you know, writers and research and travel and location scouting and, you know, looking for, flying around, looking for funding partners. Um, it's not a cheap process, it, which is, again, why for me it's very important that I am 150% committed to seeing it all the way through to the end because the average time, from my point of view, from getting involved until getting it to a point where we could, you know, flip the switch and say, okay, we're formally now in pre-production is three or four, could be three or four years. And in the meantime, I still have to live and, you know, pay my bills and and have the money available to me that I know it will take to put all of those various elements in place. I mean, just the legal fees are, can be daunting because you, there are contracts, um, there are agreements that need to be done, there are revisions to contracts, and you know the lawyer's not just sitting there waiting uh, you know, to be a nice person. You know, they're getting anywhere from three to $500 an hour. So there, you know, there needs to be that dedicated amount of money there before we even get started with the project. And you know, I, I think that's a separate conversation. Maybe we can you know, dedicate some time in the future about, which is really just specifically focused on the financing aspect of the producer's role. Not all producers re- raise money. Some producers simply produce. Other producers produce and raise money. And, I, and there's a huge difference between the creative producer and the, and the, the more financial um, business affairs producer. Um, and some people do both. I do both. Other people, you know, just sort of find themselves focusing on one side or the other. You know, and with that, I'm going to have to say thanks. I mean, that I do. We, we, will, we will come back. We'll focus on financing. I've got tons of other questions to ask you about shortcuts and and uh, in the production process and, and being able to make things and what a director's name might mean to a press. I mean, all sorts of different things, but we have run out of time. And I know that uh, you're going to be gone for a little bit. Uh, are you traveling overseas and then coming back? So we'll have to pick up uh, when you return. that all right with you? That's great. I, you know, at the moment I expect to be back um, somewhere around the end of July. So, you know, if we could, if you have time in your schedule, perhaps we could do something in August and um, oh yes, absolutely, and pick absolutely. up and and hopefully answer some of the questions we were not able to get to today. Uh, you know, what, that the you know the people online have submitted to you. I will do that, and I've got to cut you off and say thanks so much for being here, and I will be back with you in just a few moments. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Rex. All right, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in and for being here at Rex Ike's Movie Beat live and archived at R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Uh, if you're local, I'm going to be at the Public, Public Enemies premiere party tonight. I'm there as the host of a new show that I do on the web called Anytime, and I'll be interviewing the uh, members who are the, the, the party goers who are showing up and the uh, all that. Also, No God, No Master is a new feature film that is currently entering pre-production here in Milwaukee. They are casting and crewing, uh, so that's exciting news for 
uh, for all of us here in the city of Milwaukee. Certainly, we all wish that there were more productions, and there could have been, uh, but it didn't work out that way with uh, all of the trouble and issues over the incentives and the governor uh, defunding them. But I still thank you and thank my guest, Susan, uh, for being a tremendous resource and taking her time and being here, and, and for you to take your time and be here and listen to these interviews again. Spread the word. Keep the emails and phone calls and, and feedback coming. I appreciate it, and have a glorious day. That's a wrap for Movie Beat.